you, thank you. All right. Well, I've got my backpack up on stage because I've got a couple things that I'm going to use in today's sermon. Um, but first, I wanted, I appreciate Josh praying for me. This morning as I was waiting on the Lord, I I really felt like I, I wanted a young person to pray for me. Not that Josh isn't young. Josh, you're wonderfully young. But younger than Josh, you know, just slightly younger than Josh. And uh, I had I had one more Chick-fil-A cow in my backpack. And uh, if you don't know, my name's Corey Wasson. I do work at uh, two of our local Chick-fil-A's. And uh, we were giving away some little mini cows this week. And I had one more left. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to bribe a young person with a mini moo to come up and pray for me this morning. And, and the reason why is because, and you guys know this if you've been around the past couple weeks, man, the Lord has been breaking my heart for this next generation. And I just so value the young people that are in our church, our teenagers and our young adults. I'm so grateful that you're here. And I know that God has a mighty anointing that's resting on you and that you are going to lead us places that we've never gone before as a local church, but the broader church, the global church. We have young people who are gonna take us places that we've, that we've never been able to get to in our generations. And I'm so excited about what the Lord's doing. So can I get one can I get one young person? I got a mini-moo. I need one young person who'd be willing to come pray for me. Can I get one? It's going to be weird if we sit here for like the next 45 minutes. One, one. Will you, Nathan? Bro, I heard you blow up the play this weekend. Come pray for me, bro. All right. You get the mini-moo after you pray. This guy's on, dude, do you guys know this guy? He's on fire. I'm excited for you to pray for me. just pray for you um that you would be filled with the spirit that you would uh just you'd be able to feel his presence all the time and um he just work in you and whenever anybody sees you or hears you they would just instantly be filled with the presence that everybody around you and near you would always feel god because you are so strongly believing in him and striving to be with him. Yes. Amen. Thanks, bro. Amen. Come on. Thank you. And a mini Muda boot. All right. Man, thank you, Nathan. Our young people are anointed. There's no junior Holy Spirit, right? There's no lesser version of how God works through people, regardless of age. The Bible says, do not despise our youth, right? Don't let anyone despise your youth or to look down upon you because you're young because the Lord's actually put something inside of you to do great work. So, man, I love our young people. The Lord's gonna bring us more. There's many that are not in the house yet that are coming here and soon. People who are lost right now, but they're about to be found and they're about to fill these seats and we're gonna see them on fire for the Lord. I promise you that. Okay, we're gonna jump into the word today. I've got one verse. We're gonna do one verse. I've got a couple of stories and then I wanna give time for us to respond. I wanna open up the altar today and I feel like the Lord is gonna, is gonna mark some people at the altar. So that's what we're driving towards. Um, and for those of you who know me, you know that I'm a teacher at heart, that I love the word. I love to study the word. I love to extrapolate meaning from the word. We could go for hours and I would just love to go verse by verse, line by line. But today, I feel like um, that's not necessarily what the Lord wants to do in our midst. I feel like the Lord has got one verse. We're going to break it down together. 
And then I feel like I've got maybe one or two stories that are going to stir our hearts. And I feel like this morning is really about the heart more than it's about the head. I would like you to learn one or two things, but I want your heart to be touched this morning. And so if you're trying to prepare yourself for this message, then I want you to prepare your heart. I want you to open the gates of your heart to receive the word of God this morning, to be receptive to what he's going to do. This is a heart message today. And then I believe we're going to open our altar and and God's spirit is going to move and certain ones of you are going to be marked today. You guys excited for that? Amen. Okay. So open your Bibles to Matthew. You're going to go to Matthew 28. It's right before you crash into Mark. So if you're in Mark, take a left. And this is uh, the second to last thing that we have recorded that Jesus said before he ascended. And if you've been here over the past couple weeks, you know that Aaron's been teaching this series, Just Jesus, Simply Jesus. We've been kind of like working our way through the, the appearances of Jesus after his resurrection and his final words to his disciples. And, uh, and this, this is the second to last. And I think Aaron's going to take the last one next week. So go ahead and open to Matthew 28. We're going to start in verse 16 if you guys have it. If not, we're really going to focus on 18 through 20. But here's what it says. I'm reading from the ESV. It says, now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. So I want to pause there, and I want to give you a little bit of context to, to what's happening here. Because um, if you read the end of each gospel, you can get a little bit jumbled because each gospel author tells us something different about what happened after Jesus was resurrected. So Luke gives you a few stories. John gives you a few stories. Matthew gives you a few stories. Mark gives you a few stories. And it's a little bit tricky to kind of puzzle them together in chronological order because they're each just giving us snapshots of the appearances of Jesus post-resurrection, right? Post-Easter Sunday. And so what's happening here is that all of the Jews— Every year, at least the males, they were supposed to do a pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the Feast of Passover, okay? And that's where we now celebrate Easter. So if you think about Holy Week, you think about Good Friday, you think about Easter Sunday, that's lining up with a far more ancient tradition that comes from Judaism called the Feast of Passover, okay? And we don't have time to go into that. But it was one of three pilgrimage feasts. So three times per year, all Jewish males were required to go on a journey from wherever they lived to the capital city of Jerusalem, where they would participate in a festival, okay? So they would go down to the Feast of Passover. They would do everything that they're supposed to do during that time. And then they would all go back home, okay? And they would go back home for 50 days, not, if you do the math, it, more or less, but about 50 days they would go back home. And the reason why is they were an agricultural society. Uh, they had to get back to their fields because what time of year is it right now if you're a farmer? It's planting season, right? So this is time to get out into the fields and you got to get seed into the ground. Like this is, this is critical. And so they would go for this first pilgrimage for Passover. They would go back to their homes. They would go back to their lands. They would begin to plant, right? They would do lots of work. 
And then when they get a little bit later into the spring, into usually late May, they would all do another pilgrimage back to Jerusalem for another festival, okay? And that's where we get Pentecost, which is coming here in about a month. We'll talk about that when we get there, okay? So you've got these two pilgrimage festivals. Now, we know that after Jesus' resurrection, he spent 40 days with his disciples. So 40 of those 50 days, Jesus spent appearing to his disciples. And when they were in Jerusalem, he appeared to them in Jerusalem. And after the feast, when they all went back home, he appeared to them back in their homes. And most of his disciples came from the region of Galilee. That's where they had spent most of their time together. I think you guys know this. And so they had gone back home. Uh, Aaron spoke last week about they had, some of them had gone back to fishing and they were out on the Sea of Galilee and they're trying to catch some fish and Jesus meets with them and has breakfast with them. You guys remember that? All right, so that was during that time when they're back home. And then our final scene next week is actually gonna be when they return to Jerusalem in preparation for Pentecost. But we're not there yet. So now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. One interesting thing about Matthew is he places most of his significant moments on mountains. If you read through the book of Matthew, every time you see the word mountain, I would encourage you to highlight it and then pay attention because Matthew's trying to make a point. He's saying this is a critical moment in the life of Jesus Christ. I'm telling you that because I'm putting it on a mountain. There was another figure who did really important things on mountains. His name was Moses. And Matthew is trying to show you through his gospel that Jesus is the greater Moses, that he is the fulfillment of everything that Moses had accomplished, that he's the fulfillment of the law and prophets, and that he's going to take history into the next chapter. There was a chapter that was started with Moses, it was concluded, and then Jesus was going to usher them into the next chapter, or an old covenant and a new covenant. Hope you guys are sticking with me. I'm giving you guys a little bit of meat here. It's okay if, if, if you're not following but here's what happens next. It says, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted, okay? There's a couple of things I want to point out about this that might be different than your initial impulse. Uh, when we first read this sentence, it might be our first impulse to say like, oh my goodness, like I can't believe these disciples. How could they possibly doubt, right? Like you might say like, like why would they still be questioning Jesus after he was just raised from the dead? Why would they still be questioning Jesus after he just appeared to them in the upper room? Why would they still be questioning Jesus? I want to spin that question back on you, all right? Um, if you were hanging out with a man who you saw die with your own eyes, you saw him bleed out in front of your own face, and you knew that he was buried, that he was dead, that there was no pulse, and that three days later, that dead man had gotten out of the tomb, I imagine that you would have some questions, okay? Like, I don't know the last time you hung out with a dead person. I haven't been doing that recently, right? But I imagine that if a dead person rolled up through those double doors right now, someone that we all knew was dead, we were all there for their funeral. I mean, they were... Right, we like put the dirt on them. Like they were done for and they rolled in. Some of us would doubt, right? Like I would be in the line of doubters. 
And especially if some people around us started to get down on our knees and worship that previously dead person. That would, that would, that would, that would make us wrestle. And so I want us to give the disciples a little bit of credit is this is a jarring thing to try to believe. To believe that a man really died and was really buried and was really put into that tomb and sealed and that he was completely gone. It's not that he was resuscitated. It's not that he just passed out. No, he was goners. And that the spirit of God descended down into the depths, yanked him from the realm of the dead, put him back into his body, resurrected his body, a body that he's going to wear for all of eternity now. And that that man started to walk around Israel again, appearing to people and declaring that he was the son of God and that all authority and power in heaven and on earth had been given to him. That's something that's a little bit challenging to believe. And so the disciples were still on a journey to try to figure that out. And some of them felt good about it and they were ready to worship him. And there were others who were still, still asking some questions. And here's what I would say to any of you who are on that journey. I just want to say, it's okay to wrestle with that. It's okay to wrestle with that. You know, sometimes we hang out with those who are atheists or those who are agnostics or those who are coming from a different religious background. And they struggled to believe that a man died, was buried, rose from the grave, walked around in human flesh, and then ascended into the heavens and is coming back again. That can, be a, that can be a big pill to swallow for some people. And I would encourage you to be patient with them as they go on that journey of discovery. Because they're going to find their way to his feet. Right? And they will end up worshiping him. All right, let's dive into the actual passage. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I want to pause there. Essentially, what Jesus is saying here, this is how I imagine it, is he's looking at his disciples, and he's like, boys, my work is done. Right? Like, Jesus did everything that he set out to do. He accomplished everything that he set out to accomplish. That's why on the cross he declared, it is finished. Right? His work was done. And so, he's, so I just imagine him look at them, and he's like, boys, my work is done, but now it's your turn. Their work was just beginning. Jesus had done everything he was supposed to do, said everything he was supposed to say. It was his time to ascend to the Father, but he was passing the baton to them, to his disciples who were about to become apostles, sent ones. And he's saying, it's your turn. What I started, you're going to continue. And that work that Jesus began through his life, death, burial, resurrection, that work is continuing all the way up until this very moment. That this period of history that was inaugurated in this moment, it hasn't stopped. That we are participating in this thing that we're about to talk about. He's giving them a job to do. He's giving them some work. He's passing the baton. And here's what he wants them to go do. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. We'll pause there. 
I would imagine that you are familiar with this passage if you've been in church for a little bit. Uh, this is called the Great Commission. The Great Commission. Uh, there's probably only one other passage that would supersede this one, and it's called the Great Commandment. Where they said, Jesus, what is the most important thing in the entire Bible? What's the most important commandment? Like, give us a one-liner to simplify the kingdom down to. Reduce it to one sentence. And Jesus said, oh, that's easy. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it, that you would love your neighbor as yourself. Right? So there's, there's two greats that have been given to us. It's the great commandment and the great commission. These are the two things that we are supposed to spend our entire lives doing. You could spend every breath for the rest of your life loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then going and making disciples of all nations. That, those two things are supposed to occupy our entire lifetime. From the time that you meet Jesus until in the body until the time that you stand before Jesus, either in spirit or body. Between those two events, you do these two things. The great commandment and the great commission. Okay? And so here's what he's saying. First thing he says is go. Go. Make disciples of all nations. And so here's what I want to say to you guys this morning as we're talking about this idea of go. Um, you have somewhere that you are supposed to go. I don't know your somewhere. I don't know your somewhere, but I know as a matter of fact that you have somewhere that you are supposed to go for Jesus Christ. You have somewhere that you are supposed to go. You are not called as a Christian to stay where you have been. You are not called as a Christian to just live in your routine and to stay in your house and to stay in front of your television or to stay in front of your phone and to live out the rest of the days however you want to. The moment that you got saved, you were branded with go. This thing was pressed onto your soul that you have a go on the inside of you. And again, I don't know if your go is going to take you across the street to your neighbor. I don't know if your go is going to take you into the high schools. I don't know if your go is going to take you to your friends. I don't know if your go is going to take you down into East Dayton. I don't know if your go is going to take you into the business sphere, or into the media sphere, into the arts realm. I don't know where your go is going to take you, but I know that you have a somewhere. Because there is a good work that has been prepared in advance for you to do. And your good work requires you to go. You've got to go inside of you. There's this insatiable impulse inside of a genuine Christian that says, you've got to get out the door. You've got to get out the door. You've got to get out the door. There's people who are not in where you are who need to be brought in. And you have to go to them. The thing that we've done in the West that's a mistake is believe that the Great Commission has come. If we get fancier lights, maybe they'll come. If we get cooler music, maybe they'll come. If Corey could preach a little better and make better jokes, maybe they would come. Beloved, it's not come and become a disciple. It's go and make disciples. You don't catch fish on land. 
and we're not going to catch the lost sitting in the church. Beloved, if you want to catch men, the souls of men, then you have to get out into the world and get your fishing pole out. He said, come with me, I will make you fishers of men. If you want to make disciples, you've got to penetrate into society. You didn't see these disciples spend the rest of their years sitting on this mountain thinking about how great it was to be in love with Jesus. They put their sandals on and they went. When Jesus said go, they began to go. They went all over the world. Do you know that only, the only ones that died in Israel were the ones who got murdered before they could make it out? Their go took them all over the place. And Jesus is wanting to do the same for us. So listen, you have a go inside of your heart. You have a somewhere. And part of the glory of your calling is sitting before the Lord and saying, Lord, where is my somewhere? Where is my somewhere? But here's what I want to say, is that you are to go and to make disciples of the nations. And that, that might not be the best translation of that word. A better translation of that word that we translate nations would be a people. So you don't only have a place that you're called to, you have a people that you're called to. You don't just have a somewhere, you have a someone. And I want to ask you this morning, who is your someone? Who is your someone? Who's the group of people that's on God's heart that he's put into your heart? Some of you are going to have a burden for the elderly. Some of you are going to have a burden to go into the nursing homes. Some of you are going to have a burden to go into the hospitals, into the emergency rooms, to hospice. Some of you are going to have a burden to go into the kindergartens and into the preschools. Some of you are going to have a burden to go to the prisons and to share with those who are in jail. Some of you are going to have a burden to go on the streets. Some of you are called to the millionaires and billionaires, and you're called to go into executive meetings and to be a witness for Jesus Christ. Some of you are called into the sports realm to stand before athletes and to tell them that their strength is nothing and it will not save them but Christ alone is their cornerstone. Beloved, you have a someone a group of people that Jesus Christ wants to give to you. There is a part of his bride that he has entrusted to you. There are seats at his table that he wants you to go and get the people who are supposed to sit in them. That is the great commission, is that we have been invited into what Jesus is wanting to do around the world. There are things that we can't do without him, but there are things that he won't do without us. And I'm telling you that the great commission is one of those things. He has designed in his heart not to do it without us. He loves us so much that he wants us to participate in the work. And he's not going to skip by us and do it on his own. You have a somewhere and you have a someone. And I want you to ask the Lord this morning, who's my someone? Who's my someone? Who are you breaking my heart for? I want to tell you a brief story about how I found, I think I have a couple someones, but I, I want to tell you about how I found one of my someones. When I was 15 years old, I was a freshman in high school, and I had recently moved back to Ohio from a, a bit of a wild year living down in Florida. 
Uh, it was a year where I was really questioning my faith, um, where I was struggling through some doubts. I resonate with these guys. Um, I was trying to figure out if I wanted to worship this dead and now raised man. And uh, at the end of that year, I had a radical encounter with the Lord. And I don't have time to tell that story this morning. But 14 years old, the Lord met me in my bedroom. All I whispered was, Lord, I don't even know if you're real, but if you are, I want you to reveal yourself to me. I walked into my bedroom and the presence of God slammed in. And Jesus spoke to me for the very first time in my life. And he let me know that he loved me. His love washed away my sins. And he brought me back from my rebellion. I'm so thankful for the way Jesus came and found me when I was 14. But when I was 15, I had, I had two encounters that year that brought me back to the Lord. This would be probably the third significant encounter that I ever had in my life. I was 15 years old. I didn't know the Bible very well. I didn't know the Lord very well. I didn't know how to follow him. I didn't really know how to be good at really anything, right? I wasn't, um, but, man, I, but man, I loved him. I was like the most sincere, on fire, zealous little 15-year-old guy that you could meet. Um, and, but I still spent most of my time playing video games and flirting with girls, if I'm being honest. But I was so sincere for Jesus. My journal, I go back sometimes, and like one page is like, I love you, Jesus. I would die for you. You're amazing. The next page is like, man, that girl is so hot, and I hope that she'll go on a date with me. And the next page would be like, I will pour out my life for you, Jesus. And the next page is like, I spent nine hours playing a video game last night with my buddies. Awesome. You know, that, that's where I was at at 15. That was where I was at in my journey of discipleship. Um, but man, I loved the Lord. I loved the Lord. I was so sincere, and I was trying to find him, and uh, I, I had someone get me this book. It's a book called Jesus Freaks by DC Talk and the Voice of Martyrs. Man, if you want to get messed up, this, this, is, this is a book that'll jack you up good, okay? So I began to read this book, and this is story after story of people that have suffered and who have given their lives for the gospel. And uh, this book inflamed my heart. As I read the stories, I thought, Lord, I want nothing more than to be like these men and women. They're my heroes. I want to preach the gospel. I want to go to the nations. I want to, I want to do something great for you. I want to lay down my life. You saved me when I was not worthy of being saved. I want to give everything for you. And so I read this book, and the Lord began to just lay a hold of me. But when I got to the end of this book, um, and this is how the Lord does it sometimes, there, there are nation profiles that are at the end. And uh, it just goes nation by nation of places where people are still persecuted or people still lay down their lives for the Lord. And I, I, was, I wasn't even really reading them. I was just kind of flipping through them to, to get to the back of the book. I, I'm, I'm a completionist. I don't know if some of you are like this. If I start a book, I want to finish the book. And that means the very last page. Man, I read the copyright, dude. I'm just that kind of guy, okay? I don't know what's wrong with me, but I, I'm a completionist in some sense, especially when it comes to reading. And, um, and I got, uh, uh, this is, the Lord's going to give me this point. I got to this page, and at 15, I didn't know what any of these countries were. It has the country of Maldives, has the country of Mauritania, and it has the country of Morocco. And I was just flipping but when I opened this page, the Holy Spirit laid hold of me. I come from a Southern Baptist church. I didn't even know what that phrase meant. I got more than I bargained for. 
But I, I opened to this page and I, I read this little sentence about Mauritania. And I read this little sentence about Morocco. And I felt the presence of God fill my bedroom. And I felt fire begin to race over my body. I felt heat. I began to weep, and I had no clue why I was crying. 15 years old, the last thing you want to be doing is crying in your bedroom. I'm like, oh my gosh, if my mom walks by, she's going to think I'm a ninny, you know? I'm in there weeping in my bedroom. And I knew that the Lord was calling me to these two nations. And I began to say, I didn't even know how to pronounce Mauritania. I probably said it wrong, you know? And when I said to God, I said, Lord, I don't even know where this place is on the map, but if you're calling me, I'll go. I don't even know where, and I, these two, Mauritania and Morocco, they were highlighted to me. I don't even know where Morocco is on the map. I don't even know what a Morocco is, but whatever it is, I'll go there and I'll preach the gospel for you. If you give me grace, Lord, if you'll lead me, God, if you'll show me how, I promise I'll go. Sorry, guys. Woo. The Lord remembers our promises. He does. Even when you're 15 years old, you get down on your knees. And you say, God, I'll go for you. Or God, I'll do this for you. Or God, I'll care about this thing. I'll carry it in my heart. God remembers our little promises. Our little promises spoken in love, he remembers. They live before his throne eternally. And God heard my yes that day when I was able to wipe off my face enough to go downstairs we have a globe that's in our house and I went and found the globe and I went and began to spin it and I was searching where is this place called Mauritania where is this place called Morocco and I found that they were in the northwest corner of Africa and when I stared at that globe my heart began to burn within me and I knew that that's where God was calling me and from 15 years old I made it my aim to preach Christ in Morocco in Mauritania I remember being 16, 17 and saying, Lord, I don't want to be buried on American soil. Put my body in the ground in Northwest Africa. I want my life to be a seed sown for you so that many will come to Christ. These are dangerous, wild prayers, but they'll change you, man. The Lord wrecked me. He gave me a someone. He gave me a somewhere. Now, friends, not all of you are going to get on planes and go across the world. Some of you are going to go across the street. And some of you are going to go across a demographic to people who are different than you that you don't really want to go share the gospel with. But the Lord is going to take you somewhere. And the Lord is going to take you to someone. And he is going to break your heart for them. And he's going to compel you to preach the gospel to them, to bring them back into his family. That is a part of your calling. And it's not for one or two. It's for every believer. I've heard one preacher say that the great commission is the great permission. You have permission to make disciples. And I want to just, just boot a couple lies out of the room. You don't need to be more educated than you are right now to make a disciple. You don't need to be smarter or more eloquent or be able to do what I'm doing right now on the microphone. You don't have to have this anointing to have the gospel anointing. Beloved, if you understood the gospel enough to get saved, then you understand the gospel well enough to preach it to someone else. That's it. 
The simple gospel still saves souls. You don't have to understand all of the theological jargon. You don't have to understand all of the arguments and all of the debates. You don't have to be able to read Hebrew and Greek. I'm not dissing on any of those things. I'm in seminary right now. I believe in them. But listen, if you have heard the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, and it moved your heart to get down on your knees and to confess your sins and to ask him to be your Lord and your Savior, then you have an anointing on you now to go Go to the person next to you, tell them the exact same thing, and to have the exact same outcome happen. You have permission to preach the gospel, and you don't need any more training, though I hope you will get more training, but you don't need any more. You can start today. You have permission to do the Great Commission. You have permission to make a disciple. You say, Corey, well, I know so little about the Bible. I, I don't know. Well, listen, what do you know? Do you know one thing from the Bible? Well, go teach that one thing. And when they say, brother, tell me more about Jesus, say, I don't know any more yet, but I'll have some next week. Come to church, take what Aaron says, write it down in your notebook, go meet him at coffee, at coffee and sound like a genius. Be like, yeah, Jesus was having breakfast with his disciples. Peter denied him three times. They're gonna be like, man, this guy is so smart. You totally ripped it from Aaron's sermon. You know what I mean? They're gonna think you're a G. Don't even give Aaron credit, man. Just go ahead and take it, right? It's yours. It's copyright's the right to copy. You can have his stuff. So snag it, make it your own. Listen, if you know one thing, go share your one thing. Here's the only caveat I would give. If you don't know something, don't pretend like you do. That is how we create safety in this model. If you don't know something about the Bible, they're up, well, actually, I had this question about the Trinity and how does the Father and the Son and the Spirit flow into each other eternally? And you're like, well, actually, brother, I got saved last week. I'm not quite sure. But I do know this, that we should stop living in sin and we should give everything to Jesus. I do know this, that we should spend time with him every day. I do know this, that when I worship, something moves in my heart. I don't know much more than that. I'm a simple Christian, but do you want to do that with me? I do know that we're supposed to tell others. I heard that we're supposed to serve the poor. Do you want to go with me? I was actually going to go later today. Do you want, to, can we, you want to go together? Beloved, the Great Commission is as simple as that. Take what you have and give it to someone else, and they'll start to grow with you. Are you guys with me? Okay. A couple more points, and we're going to get this thing landed here in a minute. We are not called to make converts. We are called to make disciples. I love it when people raise their hands after praying a prayer. And I'm not dissing on that at all. But I do want to say this. We are not just called to make converts. We are not just called to try to press for conversions, to try to get someone to raise their hand or to try to get someone to come down front or to try to get someone to sign a card or to try to get someone to come to a conference or to try to get someone to wear that bracelet that we're selling for $5. You know, whatever it is, right? That's not what Jesus told us to go do. He said, I'm commanding you to go make disciples. And you might ask the question, well, what's the difference? What does it mean to make a disciple? Well, the word disciple means a student. So you're not going out to make a convert of Jesus, though that's where it starts. You're going out to make someone into a student of Jesus, not a student of you. Not a student of your name, not a student of your kingdom, not a student of your personality, not a student of your opinions. You're trying to turn them into a student of Jesus Christ. 
He said, when you go into the nations, you're going to baptize them into the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Spirit, not into your name or your brand or your denomination or your movement. You baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. You bring them to God. You bring them to God directly, not into your religious system or mine. You bring them to God. And after you've brought them to God, he says, teach them to obey everything that I've commanded you. Teach them to obey. Here's one thing I want to say about discipleship. I can't spend long on this, but I want to give you a couple sentences. Listen, discipleship is not about theory. Discipleship is about practice. Hear me now. Discipleship is not about theory. It's not about how much information you can put into someone's brain about Jesus Christ. Discipleship is about getting them to obey the commandments of Jesus Christ. And the reality is that obedience is caught rather than taught most of the time. Do you want to teach someone how to worship? Then worship with them. Do you want to teach someone how to pray? Pray with them. Do you want to teach someone how to fast? Invite them to fast with you. Do you want to teach someone how to give? Show them how you give. Tell them how you give. Actually open up your phone and say, this, we made a commitment to give this amount of money every single month to the Lord. That's how we give. I dare you to do it as well. Teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. That's our goal in discipleship is to make them Jesus-obedient followers. That's the goal. That's the goal. Okay. I'm going to pause there, and then I'm going to tell you guys a story. Got one more little prop for you today. Well, I'll get out in a minute. So once upon a time, I had the privilege of going to the region that I referenced earlier. I had waited about 10 years to go to this region from the time that the Lord initially called me to actually getting on a plane and getting to move there. Um, I was looking through my photos the other day and I actually have a, a selfie of me, I don't take selfies very often, but this felt like a moment, of me standing on a boat as I was crossing um, a, a strait and I was coming into this nation, and, and for the first time, you, the city is behind me that the Lord had promised me when I was 15 years old. I was 23 at that time, so eight years had passed. And uh, the Lord was bringing me into my promise. And uh, a little bit into our time there, I'm going to have my wife come up a little bit later, but we, we both went on a team that, that moved over there, and we were going to go preach the gospel in that region. And, and uh, we got invited to go out of the city where we were living, um, kind of out into this Region where the gospel has not yet gone. Um, there, there are no churches in that region, and um, there are only two known believers that are in that region. Uh, one of them was in prison at the time for preaching the gospel, and the other one was actually the mayor of his town. Kind of interesting. One's in prison, one is like leading his entire town. Um, but we were uh, going to go visit one of them, and we were going to spend a week with them. And uh, so I remember getting together with a group, and we started out in our city, and we got into a taxi. They have these, like, uh, these taxis where they shove, like, two of you sit together in the front seat, 
and four of you squish into the back seat. So you're basically sitting on each other's lap in the front seat, then four of you go in the back seat. It's blazing hot, and all of the roads go like this, all the way there. So if you're like me, I would just pop, like, Dramamine, and I would pass out, and I would, like, wake up wherever we were going, because I knew that, I, like, I would get sick in this taxi. So we got in the taxi, and we started out on this four-lane highway that kind of left the city, and after about an hour, the road went down to uh, maybe a two-lane highway, kind of one, you know, coming this way, one going that way. And a couple hours passed, and uh, eventually that, that highway uh, began to get, like, more and more rugged. Right, like we were on the part of the highway where they've probably done construction, they've done upkeep, and then the highway's kind of getting more beat up, more potholes, less signs as we're kind of heading out into the wilderness of this nation. We're actually heading to a, a mountain range, and uh, eventually it turns into just kind of like two beat up, broken asphalt roads where like the sides have kind of like fallen off and there's no signs anymore. Um, and at one point, we, I, I think, I'm like, we have to be getting close. We start getting into the mountains, and we get to a point where we turn off of that, and we get down onto a single dirt road. And this single dirt road is, like, winding through the mountains. There's not enough r room for two cars to come the opposite direction. And we're constantly turning into, like, blind turns. And this guy is going, like, 100 miles per hour, you know? And, uh, you know, I only know a little bit of that language, you know. And so in my broken language, I'm like, is this safe? Like, are we okay? He's like, oh, uh, they have a phrase for, like, it's meshi mushkil. They say it all the time. It's like, no problem. It's like, no problem. I'm like, no, actually, we're going really fast on these turns. It could, it could be a problem. Meshi mushkil, no problem. So he just keeps hitting me with the no problem. So we're whoosh, speed racer through the mountains. And uh, eventually, this is so wild, we, we get to this point where the only way to get to the village where we're trying to go is to now get out of the taxi and to get onto what for, uh, used to be a donkey cart path. Donkey cart path. And they have this old van, and they load up a bunch of people into the van. The van's sitting like this on the mountainside. They've got, like, the parking brake on, and, like, before we go, he's like, and he puts the parking brake down, and we, like, take him up the hill. And we're like, we're like blasting up this like mountainside to go to this village. And uh, eventually we get to this, this village. And um, it's, it's, this village is situated on a small plateau almost to the top of a mountain from which you can see the entire region. Um, like in the mornings when the clouds would descend, we would wake up and we would be above the clouds. And so you would come out into this, this village this village is, like, so old-fashioned that, like, um, that they, they, they had, like, a latrine. That they didn't have a, a normal toilet. You would, you would go in the latrine. And one of my buddies was so kind that he actually clogged the latrine. And this old grandma had to go in there and, like, in her rustic pipes had to go clean it out. I'm like, I'm so sorry. We, I'm so sorry. We came all the way from America and we clogged your latrine. And uh, they had a latrine. There were donkeys that are out pulling carts that are, that are plowing the fields the old-fashioned way. There are people who are up in trees who are picking olives. I mean, everything was the way that it was 2,000 years ago. There was nothing modern, no tractors, no electricity, like none of that, okay? Or hardly any electricity, as we'll see in the rest of the story. So we got to spend a couple days with this man who's the mayor, who's a believer. His entire family is lost. His entire extended family is lost. There's not one other person in his town 
who believes in Jesus. He is by himself. And so we would go out to visit him. We'd worship together. We'd pray together. We'd study the Bible together. We would just go to refresh him. And then we would share the gospel with his family members and his extended family members. And over the years, actually, now many people from that, from that family and from that village have been saved. But at that time, there was only one. And we spent a couple days with him. And uh, one morning, we went on a hike. This is where I want to kind of bring you into what the Lord was doing in me. We went on a hike, and uh, our, our team was kind of hiking up the, to the very top of this mountain. There's just a little bit left. Uh, but we start hiking up this path, and I was at the, the back of the pack, and um, there came a moment where I got about a fourth of the way up where I felt the Lord say, Corey, stop. I want to show you something. And I stopped, and I turned around, and I felt the Lord ask me, what do you see? And I said, Lord, I see this village. Um, I saw some surrounding houses. Um, I could see people out working their fields um, in their olive groves. Uh, I could see families kind of hard at work. I could see someone on a donkey cart actually riding into town. I could see some kids uh, playing soccer down on like a, a dirt soccer field. I think they had like taped some trash together and they were kicking it around. They didn't even have a soccer ball. So that's what I see. I felt like I was like, okay, keep going. I got about halfway up the mountain, climbing now, huffing and puffing, and uh, I felt the Lord say, stop, turn around, I want to show you something. And I turned around, and he said, what do you see? And at this point, I had now gained altitude, and I, I could see further, and so he said, you know, what do you see? And now I could see basically the entire, like, valley that was kind of in between all of these different mountains, and I could see different Villages. There, there were some that there's like, there's a village over on that mountain. There's one on that mountain. There's one on that mountain. There's two that are down in the valley. I could see like little paths that were connecting them. It's like, okay, keep going. So I climb a little higher and I, and I get to, I get to three fourths up. And at this point now we're like, we're really high. This was the tallest peak kind of in that region. And so now that I'm at three fourths, I can now see up over all of the other mountains. And the Lord says, what do you see? And now I could see mile after mile after mile after mile. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how far I could see it in each direction, but I'm, it was like high visibility. I could see what I felt like the entire region. And I started telling the Lord, I see countless villages and towns and no cities, but... And we get to the top of this mountain and the trip leader pulls us aside. He says, I want you to look in every direction. We look. He says, tonight every single person, every grandpa, every grandma, every dad, every mom, every little kid, said every single one of them is going to go to bed tonight not knowing the name of Jesus Christ. So if you were to walk up to them right now and say, do you know Jesus Christ? They would say, who's that? As a matter of fact, I did get to talk with some of them. And I tried to share the gospel with one person. I said, do you know Jesus? And the person said back to me, who's Jesus? Is he your friend? Is he from America? That was the question that, that she asked to me. I said, no, he's not from America. I was trying to think of some way that I could frame this. And the best thing I could get to, I said, do you know about Christmas? Certainly in this part of the world, you've heard about Christmas. She said, oh yeah, Christmas. That day where you have the, the big guy with the red hat. He's super fun. I said, oh my I'm so sorry that you know about the big man with the red hat and you don't know about the man who came to die for you. 
So let me tell you about a man named Jesus. And I began to share the gospel with her. This is a region where no one knew. And so we stood on the top of this mountain and with faith we began to pray that God would send laborers into this region and that the gospel would run swiftly and that the church would begin to grow and that that man would get out of prison and that the mayor would be able to share the gospel in his town and that he would be protected. And we're interceding from the top of this mountain. It was a beautiful time. And, uh, and, and actually the weather begins to change and kind of a storm begins to roll in. And so like, we gotta get down fast. And so we book it down the mountain. We get back to town. When we get to town, everyone's hot and sweaty, and, and I'm thirsty. I don't know if you've ever been on a hike, but usually when you finish a hike, you're thirsty. And I didn't know as much about health and fitness as I do now. Now I would say to myself, uh, I should go drink some water. But at that time, when I consumed about a pack of Mountain Dew per week, I was like, you know what? I need something sugary and caffeinated, and I need it quick, right? That's what your body needs after a hard workout. Am I right, our CrossFit coaches? Um, Lauren's like dying on the inside. She's like, no! So um, I, I, needed, I needed a sugary caffeinated beverage, okay? And um, I didn't know if I could get one. I went to our host and I asked the question, is there a shop in town? He said, oh yeah, there's a little shop. You just kind of go around the corner. He's like, there's a guy. There'll be a little window. There'll be a little sign. There's a guy. I'm like, all right, I'm gonna go find the guy. So I walk out. I kind of zoom through town. I see the window. I see the guy. Um, and, and I walk up to him and this is the worst shop in the world. I've traveled a lot of places, and I am convinced the dude had like one box of old stale bubble gum. I'm not even talking about good bubble gum. I'm talking about the off-brand of the off-brand old stale bubble gum, and it was overpriced. I was like, I am not buying your bubble gum. He had a couple off-brand candy bars, and the rest of his shelves were empty. There was nothing in there. And, and so I'm thinking, oh my gosh, there's, there's no chance. And so I ask him, do you have anything to drink? And he goes, and I don't even know how he has one, but he kind of goes back behind this counter and he like starts moving some stuff aside and he opens up a little refrigerator that must have been running on a generator. They didn't have like electricity in it. Where'd you get that generator? Where'd you get a refrigerator? Why can't you get better bubble gum if you had money for that, you know? And, uh, and inside of there, he had a cold Coca-Cola. And I was like, I'll take every single one of those that you have. And so I bought out the whole store. I didn't even care. I am so selfish. I, like the rest of the villagers are like, sir, do you have Coke? He's like, no, the white man took it, you know. <laughs> but I came and I, I got the Coca-Cola. And, and I took my, I was going to bring the rest back to the team. But I went and I went and sat down on a rock. There's this storm that's rolling in. The, the, I mean, it was wild. The clouds are churning, and there's rain in the distance, and the kids are still playing soccer. So I sit down on the rock, and, um, and, and I'm about to open this. Uh, it was bigger than this, and it was colder than this, but I'm about to open it, and right as I have that moment, the Lord says, Corey, wait a second. You know? It's like your friend Lauren says you shouldn't drink that. No, I'm just kidding. From America, she sends you a message in the spirit. Don't put that into your body. No, I'm just kidding. The Lord, the Lord says, um, the Lord says, Corey, what do you have there? I'm thinking, God, I'm pretty sure you know what a Coca-Cola is. And uh, I'm like, I have a, a Coca-Cola. And uh, the Lord says, where did you get that Coca-Cola? I thought about it for a second. I'm like, God, I'm, I'm pretty sure you know that I was just at the corner store. But I, I tell him anyways. But I was just 
with the guy at the corner store with the old bubble gum. And I just kind of feel, the, I don't know if you ever have this moment with the Lord when he's trying to teach you something, but it kind of feels like he leans back and crosses his arm and waits for you to figure it out. Have you guys ever had this moment with the Lord? It's like Gandalf. He's like old and wise, and he just starts stroking his beard. And you're like, what are you trying to teach me? But then all of a sudden, it hits me. Wait a second. Where did I get this Coca-Cola from? How did this get here? Coca-Cola is from Atlanta, Georgia. I was like, how is it that I came here on the four-lane highway that leads to the two-lane highway, that leads to the broken two-lane highway, that leads to the one-lane dirt road that we whipped around at 100 miles per hour and almost got into multiple wrecks, and I came up a freaking donkey path. I don't know if you're allowed to say that in church, but I'm going to say it to you. I came up a donkey path to a village perched on a mountain above the clouds in a region where only two people know the gospel, and yet I had access to a Coca-Cola. And the Lord said to me, Corey, how is it that these people have access to Coke, but they don't have access to the gospel? I begin weeping. I don't even want my Coke anymore. I'm like, oh God, you know, I don't want it. I don't even want it. I begin weeping as my heart is broken. God, how is it possible that there was a man who stood up in Atlanta, Georgia. And do you know the vision statement of Coke is to put a bottle of Coca-Cola within reach of every hand on the planet. That is the vision, to take Coca-Cola and to put it within reach of every hand on the planet. A man stood up, late 1800s, early 1900s, and said, guys, I've got a vision. Go ye therefore and sell this sugary beverage to every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Make sure that whatever it costs, whatever sacrifices we have to make, whatever borders we have to cross, whatever language we have to translate our marketing into, make sure that the whole world has access to Coke. And there was a group of people in that room who said, yes, sir, we'll get right on it. And within a hundred years, they have almost achieved their vision. I have been to many places where the gospel of Jesus Christ has not been preached, but I have never been beyond the borders of Coca-Cola. I have been to a village in the middle of the Sahara Desert where women cover their ankles but not the rest of their body. They have piercings through their lips. Their ears are this big. They eat raw meat. They come in out of the deserts. They speak a wild language that hardly anyone knows. And when I was in that village in the market, you know what there was? a Coca-Cola machine with the generator where they could come and get this. And yet there was only one young female missionary who was laboring in that, vision, in that village for the gospel. I've been in war zones in East Africa where when we got there, we got to a, a hotel and they said, we're gonna take your team and we're gonna split you guys up into the farthest rooms apart from each other. And they said, why? They said, well, in the past few weeks, there are rebel uh, troops that have been coming across the border and they've been blowing up cars and beheading people. Oh yeah, last week this guy came up, he got his head chopped off. What? Yeah, we're gonna split you up in the hotel so that when the rebels come to get you, because they're gonna hear that there's white people here, hopefully they'll only kidnap and murder a few of you and not all of you. They told us, hey, you're not gonna be able to leave our compound the entire time that you're here 
So we decided that we were going to flip our schedule. We were going to sleep through the day and that we were going to pray through the night. And we were going to ask for God to send his gospel into that region. But do you know what we drank when we woke up from our day sleep and we had our dinner? Coca-Cola. I've been to castles in Europe. I've been to skyscrapers in Asia. I've been to malls that are seven stories tall. I've been to food courts that are size of the Fairfield Commons Mall in Thailand. I've been to five-star hotels and I've been in hovels with the poor where little kids sleep down in the dirt and where they have cockroaches that crawl over their body in the night. I've been in dumps where people take trash and they build them as their, as a, listen, I've been all over the place and I've never been beyond the borders of Coca-Cola. Band, if you want to come forward, I'd like you to come. I want this story to strike you today. When you got saved, you didn't, get just, you didn't just get saved for yourself. That gospel that you've been freely given is now a gospel that you're supposed to give. And there are entire regions of the world where people have never heard the name of Jesus. There are entire regions of the world where they're waiting for just one person to come and to tell them the good news. I want to provoke you today to consider going to those places. I want you guys to stand with me. There's two things that this Coca-Cola story does in my heart. The first is this, it makes me kind of angry. And I think it's a, perhaps a righteous anger. It makes me angry that there were people that believed in this enough to go everywhere, into war zones, into slums, into deserts, to get this to the people. But the church hasn't been willing to do the same the gospel of our beautiful Lord. So that makes me a little bit angry. But here's the other thing it does. It gives me hope. Because if they were able to do it, we've got the power of the Holy Spirit. We've got the word of God. We've got his truth burning in our veins. There's nothing that will be impossible for God. If they can do it, we can do it. If they can get a bottle of Coke within reach of every hand on the planet, surely we can get the gospel to every person, every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. So the question I want to leave you with today is, where is your somewhere? Where are you called to go? And I want you to be willing to consider that maybe it's not here. I want you to be willing to at least consider that you might be called to get on a plane and go. The second question, who is your someone? 
Who's that group of people that the Lord has given you to reach? He's going to use your life to do great exploits for the kingdom, to bring home his lost sons and daughters. Who is the Lord putting on your heart? I want you to close your eyes for a minute. And I want you to ask those two questions. Lord, where is my somewhere? Lord, who is my someone? closed. Maybe put your hands out right in front of you. I want you to receive from the Lord. He wants to give you revelation today. He's going to give you a place. He's going to give you a place. And he's going to give you a people. He's going to give you a people as your inheritance. And it might be right here in Tip City, Ohio, and it might be in the far-flung nations of the world, but he is going to give you a place. He's going to give you a people today. He's going to give you a promise, the way that he gave me a promise when I was 15 years old. I'm giving you these nations. I'm giving you these peoples. It's like the Lord wants to give some of you a promise today. two groups of people forward. We'll start with the first one and then we'll move to the second one. The first one is this. If you have a calling on your life to go to the nations, I don't know what capacity that in. I don't know if that's short term or if that's long term. But if you know that you've been called at some point in your life to go to the nations, I want you to come forward. I want to pray for you. Just go ahead and come down. I'll have you come to this side of the altar and you can just go ahead and, and kind of get in a straight line for me. And prayer team, I want you guys to, to come down if you're available. If you're responding to the altar call, then, then 
Yes, if you're both, then, then, then don't worry about it. But if, if you know, if you know that you've been called to the nations in some capacity, I want you to come. And, and I'm not just talking about giving to the nations. I'm talking about, I'm about going to the nations. You know that you're called in some capacity to get on a plane and to go to the nations to preach the gospel to serve the poor, to aid the church, to expand the kingdom. If that's you, I want you to come down. And prayer team, I want you guys to just come forward. I just want you to begin to move along the front line. I want you to lay hands on those. If we could just kind of like straighten out the line a little bit so that everyone can make it in. Destiny, you can come in, whoever's coming in. All right, we're gonna let our prayer team just begin to move down the line. I'm gonna have Anna pray for you guys who are feeling this call to the nations, this burden for the nations. Yeah, before I pray, I just felt like the Lord gave me two things. Um, the first one was, I feel like there are those in the room that will not go, but the Lord is going to give you a burden for specific nations, for specific people. And in your prayer closet, I know this sounds weird, but in your prayer closet, you will begin to go in the spirit and you will begin to sing, I feel specifically songs over you, that you will begin to sing songs over the nations and it won't be just trite like I'm singing over this nation, but that the Lord is going to begin to send angels at the sound of your songs into these nations to literally change and shift things in the atmosphere. So if that's you, I do want you to also come forward and get prayer. And then the second thing that I saw I was asking the Lord what he wants to do. I saw a picture of Moses in the wilderness and he was running from his people. He was running from the calling that the Lord had sent him to because he made a mistake, because he was angry, because he didn't know how to do it. And the Lord shows up in a burning bush and the Lord says, Moses, go back to my people. This is your calling. Stop running. I will give you what you need to go. So if you feel like you're running from a calling that the Lord has sent you to or you're afraid, I don't know if it's in this room or not, but I'm just sharing because I feel like the Lord said it. Um, then also come get prayer. So I'm just going to pray for you. Holy Spirit, I thank you this morning that you are faithful to send laborers to those who have not heard Lord, it's your will, it's your desire that every man would hear, that every woman and child would know the name of Jesus. Lord, this morning I ask that you would send pictures to people in this room, Lord, those that have come forward, I ask that you would begin to show them faces, that you would begin to speak to them names, you would begin to speak to them countries, languages, Lord, that they don't even know, that you would begin to give it to them that you would give them a burden, Lord, that you would give them a burden in their hearts, that their hearts would soften to those that are not even their own people, that they would say, like Ruth, your people are my people. Lord, we release that this morning in the room. Holy Spirit, do what you love to do. It's what you love to do. Lord, we open our hearts to you this morning. Holy Spirit, to what you're feeling, to what you're doing. Lord, we say yes, Lord. 
to whatever burden you want to give us, Lord, we say yes. We say yes to coming into the garden with you and praying and feeling what you're feeling over people we don't even know that we may never even meet. We release it this morning in Jesus' name. Yes. So prayer team, just keep moving down this line. Keep praying for people. Ask I told that story about me in my bedroom at 15 years old and the fire of the Holy Spirit marked me for the nations, marked me for missions. I believe the Lord wants to send his fire into this room right now and he wants to mark certain ones for nations. He wants to encounter them. He wants to give them an unforgettable encounter, something that they can't put on the, the shelf when things get hard. He wants to mark them begin to lay hands, move through, ask for the fire of the Holy Spirit. Believe for God's power right now to mark certain ones. Like Moses before the burning bush, that God would release commissionings right now. Release commissionings right now. Come Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. Release your fire. Release your power. Mark these ones right now. Commissioning. Commissioning. That burning bush moment, God. Release your fire right now. Commissioning. Lord, we begin to release the names of nations pictures of certain peoples show them maps show them exactly where they're gonna go God give them promises right now God release it release commissionings right now hope restored faith restored passion for the Great Commission restored God release it right now fire gonna roll a little bit longer if you've got to go if you're in a hurry go ahead and go but we're gonna I got two more things I feel like this morning the Lord gave me a word for parents in the room it might have just been for me but I'll share it with you and it might strike some of your hearts I feel like the Lord asked me Corey will you tithe your children to the nations would you be willing to lay your children on the offering of missions? Would you be willing for your sons and your daughters to go to the nations to preach the gospel? And for some of you this morning, I feel like it's a moment of release where you would say to the Lord, I release my children to go to the nations. I bless my sons and my daughters and I began to weep as the Lord asked me that question. I don't want my baby girl or my baby boy to be far from me. I don't want them to be in a different nation. I want them to come over for holiday meals. I want them to live down the street. I want my grandkids close enough to be involved in their lives every day. But I felt like he was asking me, would you tithe your children? 
Would you lay your sons and daughters down upon the altar? And if I call them to go, will you bless them to go? And to the parents in the room, I wanna ask you that question this morning. If Jesus invites your sons and your daughters to go, will you bless them? And I feel like there might be some parents in the room that need to come to the altar and to release your children, that you actually need to get down on your knees and you say, God, I surrender my children to you. I give you my sons and my daughters. I give you permission. Do whatever you want with them. Call them to go. Call them to serve. Call them to go on adventures with you. Even if it means great sacrifice for our family, you're worth it. You're worth it. You're worth it. And if that's you this morning, I want you to come to the altar and lay your children down. Say, Lord, I surrender them to you. Use them for great purpose. Use them for great exploits. If that's you, I invite you to come. I invite you to come. And the final word that I felt, and then we'll just kind of close out and let people stay at the altar for a little bit. But I feel like when I ask the question, who is your someone? There's a few of you in this room that your someone are the children of our city that are not yet adopted and the children that are in foster care. That some of you, the Lord is marking for orphans, for those who do not have a home. And if that's you, I feel like God wants to touch you this morning. I invite you to come forward for prayer. And the Lord's gonna give you grace and he's gonna give you wisdom on how to go into the adoption process or the fostering process. Some of you are gonna bring those who do not have a home into your home. And it's going to be your participation in the great commission. And you're gonna disciple them and raise them up to follow our Lord Jesus. So if any of those strike home today, I want to invite you to come. I'm going to let the band play and sing for just a few more minutes. Our prayer team is going to minister at the altar. And if you're ready to go, you're welcome to go. Lord, I ask right now, God, that you would fill this place with your spirit. That every person who leaves this place would leave blessed, God. I'm asking that you would stir our hearts for the Great Commission. In your beautiful name we pray.